In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be bringing you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in a life that's often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes frantic. Each week, I invite a guest to join me for part of the show to talk about aspects of family life, which usually relates to homeschooling and always speaks straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child rearing above their highest joy. I come to you with an English accent from the Lone Star State, where everyone thinks I hail from far away East Texas. And I do come from very far away East, London to be precise. Joining me today is Stacey Zelma, who is going to be talking to us about water, a commodity we take for granted, but millions don't. And it's time for my 11sies, a mid-morning break to tide me over until lunch. I'm having sparkling water today to remind me how precious it is, and an orange. Between mouthfuls, I'll be talking about intercountry adoptions, distinguishing between the days while homeschooling, practicing contentedness, taking the parents to work, and selling silver. So let's get started. Don't know about you, but January is always the longest month for me. It must have something to do with being in a semi-limbo state of reeling from the holidays. Not really on break anymore, but not really back at school full time. Resisting April swishing past before we know where we are. Perhaps January felt as if it started way back in December. Maybe it's nothing to do with the month at all. More the season. So with this at the forefront of my consciousness, the 31 days of January tend to drag. Well, not drag, drag, because I don't want time to fly, but it seems to be January forever, such a long time. And here I am with six days still left to go. And the only reason why I know it's Friday is because I'm here talking to you again. And before I launch into what's been going on around here, sometimes it can be very ordinary, I want to mosey on back to my guest of a couple of weeks ago, Kim de Blakor. I've had plenty of time to think about this inter-country adoption. And Kim spoke to us about her experience with international adoptions. Without realizing it, I discovered a controversy that has several very definite sides to it. As a mother, my thoughts are always for the well-being of the child. And with our society becoming more and more global with internet and digital communication, the fact that inter-country adoption is taking place and making headline news doesn't seem like such a big deal. On the one hand, 
but it also causes concern on the other. Children have been adopted for hundreds of years for various reasons, and I believe the reasons remain the same today, but the use of children, orphans at that, in the political arena seems to me to be a violation, not only of human rights, but of the rights of the child, which is a very touchy NATO document at the moment. In explaining situations like these, I gather my children around the proverbial kitchen table and we take the international issue and bring it down to a level we can relate to, our family. In order to get a clearer picture of what's happening, I have my charges envision this scenario. If for some reason a member of our family was unable to keep their child and appeal to other friends and family to take him in and those other members or friends were unable or unwilling to do so for a range of reasons from financial to medical to logistical to selfish, what could happen? On the one hand, the child could go to the local city orphanage where she would live without family and institutional life, bereft of personal love, nurture and family bonding, never experiencing the pleasure of a cohesive family life. And I will grant that there are some amazingly caring staff in the local orphanages where I live, but even they admit that they can't be mother or father to hundreds of children. Or, and here's the alternative, a stranger from across town comes along and offers to adopt as their own the child. They're not family or friends. They don't even live close by. They're strangers ready to give what no one else so far has been able to, a loving family for the orphaned or abandoned child. What would we as the family like to see happen? Have the child be integrated into this stranger family and move to a new city? Or have the child go to the institution within its own city? Should we deny the stranger family who really wants this child and can offer him a safe and care-filled future in order to keep the orphan child in his own city, albeit within an institution? Should we deny the right of the child to be adopted into a loving family? In the end, how much does it matter if the child is brought up by a family who has no blood relationship if her only other alternative is to be raised behind the cold, sterile walls of a public institution. I keep going on about that, you know, because I have a boarding school background and that was a pretty cold, impersonal institution. It wasn't a public institution, but, you know, there's something to be said about growing up in a family. Yes, the question is a tough one and begs the moral conscience of the family in question to be examined. We want orphans in safe families, but how would we feel if foreigners came to America to adopt our unadoptable children simply because there were too many facing a life without family love and the American people weren't prepared to go out on a limb and adopt their own. Is it better for the child to stay within its culture or is it better for the child to be adopted? Wherever in the world that happens to be, we do have to take a long, hard look at ourselves. Are we called to be accountable for our own, whether we want to or not? I mean, this is a tough question to ask young children, but you know, when you bring it down to the family level, it gets their little consciences geared up and rolling. The January 2004 UNICEF position on inter-country adoption clarified the meaning of the Convention on the Rights of the Child as follows. 
An appropriate family environment should be sought in preference to institutional care, which should be used only as a last resort and as a temporary measure. It also states inter-country adoption is one of a range of care options which may be open to children. And for individual children who cannot be placed in a permanent family setting in their country of origin, it may indeed be the best solution. So there, I would say to them, there's the document. So that's what the law has to say about intercountry adoptions. And then, you know, you start thinking, how would I personally feel? And while this document doesn't mention the desirability of keeping a child in the country of origin, it does stress the desirability of a permanent family setting. However, it uses the words may be the best solution and asserts that the best interests of the individual child must be the guiding principle in making a decision regarding adoption. And now we come to this little political power play that's been going on recently. And on the strength of those words, why is international adoption being banned? first in Romania and now in Russia. Well, let's take a little look at that, shall we? One of the criteria for entry into the European Union and Russia is part of the EU. Well, it's part of Europe. It's not part of the EU yet, is to ban international adoptions. I discovered that in England, international adoptions roughly translates to children purchased on the Internet. Aha. Do I smell the unsavory smell of money? While Romania's ban on international adoption may have received applause from prominent individuals within the EU, it may be the case that the law, while attempting to crack down on profiteering and other forms of corruption, could well have violated the rights of children by criminalizing adoption itself rather than the corruption swirling around adoption. The Aki Communitaire is a French word used in connection with preparations by candidate countries to join the European Union. They must adopt, implement and enforce all of the acquis to be allowed to join and respect for human rights is a prerequisite for EU membership. So, although international adoption has not actually been covered by this set of laws, the rights of the child are very, very closely intertwined with human rights issues. So with the recent signing into effect in of the, what it's called the Magnitsky Bill, a US law calling for sanctions on Russians, identified by Sergei Magnitsky as human rights violators, in Russia, the Akovlev bill, named for a young Russian orphan who died in America when he was left by his adoptive parents in a car to die accidentally of overheating, was rushed through Parliament in December last year and sped to President Vladimir Putin's death in less than 10 days and signed into law in retaliation for this U.S. law. The bill effectively bans Americas from Americans from adopting Russian orphans. Where is the regard for human rights here? Those against the Kremlin have played the ban as further evidence that Putin and his parliament have lost the moral right to rule Russia. And during protests held in Russia, one poster read, don't play politics using children. Those are my sentiments entirely. So let us pray that the best interests of the individual child be the guiding principle in making a decision regarding adoption, not 
the profiteering. Well, it's a very difficult situation and it's one that we need to look at from all sides. But I think the bottom line is what's best for the child. And um, I think that's kind of comes out in some of the laws. But, you know, a lot of the officials mess with that and play around with it and power play with other countries rather like we power play with other people. Anyway, let me tell you something that's healthy. We need to remember that we're unique. So often we look at other people's lives and we go, oh, I wish my husband was as thoughtful as that. Oh, my goodness, look, time to go on a break. I'll be right back. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose and all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back. I was too busy watching the squirrels out in our back 40, and I wasn't keeping an eye on the time. But my guest today is Stacey Zelma, who's joining us to talk about the importance of clean water in the world, something we take for granted and waste without thinking. Imagine spending a good portion of your day fetching water from a dirty river. Imagine going without water, not being able to drink your 64 ounces a day. Stacey has degrees in economics and international relations from Wheaton College. 
knowledge and experience in India, where she helped frame an international justice missions community engagement strategy. She returned to New York to assist in finding innovative ways to involve schools and faith groups in Charity Water, a company that is moving towards providing clean water to millions of people globally. Hello, Stacy, and welcome to my Hi, Vivian. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. I'm really excited to share about what Charity Water is doing and specifically um, how homeschoolers could get involved. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, that's always important because homeschoolers, you know, we're not at school, so we don't have those fundraisers that go on around. So every now and again, I'll pull in a company and say, come on, tell us what we can do to help you so we can have a homeschool fundraiser of our own. So that's great. And thank you so much for taking time to join me. My pleasure. All right. So tell us first a little bit about yourself. And um, you went to India, so maybe you could, you know, sort of tell us a little bit about that. But about you and um, your, maybe your one year that you homeschooled and why you did that? Sure. Um, well, I'm a native Californian and um, grew up in a couple different states, but uh, I was homeschooled for my eighth grade year. My family moved from Massachusetts to Orange County at um, kind of an awkward point. It was right before the start of the school year, and so um, we didn't really have time to look into uh, the different schools available, so we decided to try homeschooling. We had a lot of friends that had recommended it to us, and um, I have to say that I think my perspective on homeschooling um, is unusual. It was one of the best years. Um, I got to be in sunny Southern California, and um, we were going through the sunlight curriculum. Um, so I got to do all of my reading next to um, a pool because we actually hadn't found a home yet, and so we were living um, in a community development. And um, so it is lots of sunshine and reading books by the water for me. Um, that said, I think it was also a very challenging academic year. Um, the sunlight curriculum, I'm sure many of your listeners um, are actually using it, is very rigorous. And so um, I, I think it was quite a challenge and uh, prepared me well for college, actually. But, um, uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning Wheaton. Um, it was a wonderful school to attend. And after that, I moved to New York, um, specifically because I wanted to be a part of a church here. It's called Redeemer Presbyterian, and the pastor is Tim Keller. So moved uh, specifically for the church and then um, got a job in finance. But um, finance wasn't necessarily a good fit, even though I had studied economics. And so um, I was led to India to serve with International Justice Mission and help them develop a community engagement strategy. Um, they rescued and rehabilitated bonded labor slaves, so a classic form of slavery, and then um, they perpetrated, or sorry, they uh, prosecuted the perpetrators. And so um, I was helping them raise awareness um, on the ground in India, and um, the goal of that was to create social demand for change in that system. So um, one thing that happened while I was in India is uh, well, I got a waterborne parasite, it's called Giardia, and um, lost a ton of weight and um, felt incredibly sick for the last four months that I was there. And so um, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me at the time. I just thought maybe curry didn't sit well with me. And so um, when I got back to the States and the problem still persisted, I looked into it. And um, it's very easy to get rid of with a simple three-day course of antibiotics. But um, 
many people don't have access to antibiotics or the resources to pay for them. And so um, that really impressed upon me the importance of clean water. So mm-hmm. Charity Water was, was uh, the first place that I applied to when I got back. So, so charity water is a relatively young. Um, what do you call it? An organization, a, mm-hmm. a young organization. So, I mean, how did you find out about charity water? Apart from the, you know, you were led to do something with water because you realized just the importance of clean water. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, did you have your computer? Did you kind of type in water and have a look to see? <laughs> No, actually, I knew about Charity Water before I moved to India. I was at a friend's birthday party, and I was seated across from um, Charity Water's uh, then director of water programs. And so she actually um, was a very riveting introduction because she was telling the table a story of she had recently been in the field for three weeks gathering data from our partners. And um, then she was stopping in Istanbul. Her name's Becky Straw, stopping in Istanbul to attend an international development conference. Um, One night when she returned to her hotel room, there was an intruder in there holding her computer. And um, Becky is this adorable, petite blonde. She's like five foot two. And um, if I had encountered that situation, I would have run. But she said that she had gathered so much information from the field and did not want to lose it. It was all on her computer that she actually attacked the man and wrestled the computer away from him. And so I was thinking, you know, who is this girl that's so committed to her job that she would um, take on that risk? And so I looked into um, who Charity Water is as an organization um, that night, and that was the first time that I had heard of them. So pretty dramatic introduction. But... um, (laughs) Okay, so tell us um, what is the role that you play in the organization? I love my role. Um, I get to work on our fundraising team, partnering with schools and faith-based organizations that want to spread awareness about the water crisis. Many people don't know that every day approximately 800 million people don't have access to clean, safe drinking water. Um, And so I come alongside our school and church partners to help um, them raise awareness about the water crisis and then also fundraise to actually um, be the solution and provide clean water to communities that need it. Mm. I'll talk a little bit about the fundraisers a little bit that you um, help people do um, a little bit later. But um, initially, I sort of want to find out, you said 800 million people in the world Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. have access to clean water. So tell me a little bit about um, a typical village that you would go into as as an organization to dig a well. And Mm -hmm. What situation water-wise are we talking about with these people? Because obviously there's no running water. They have to go somewhere and get it. Certain members of families go and do that. So tell us a little bit about the process of hauling water. Definitely. Well, I would say a strength of Charity Water is that we partner with 21 different NGOs that have long-term commitments to the communities that uh, they serve. And so uh, we work in 20 different countries, and these partners are experts in their field, and they're experts on each region. And so there isn't a one-size-fits-all model. Um, oftentimes when people think of you know, a a water project, they're thinking of a drilled well where you bring in this massive truck and you may drill down a thousand feet to tap the water table. But we actually have a number of different technologies that we use depending on the 
situation. So, for example, in Cambodia, um, water is plentiful, but it's contaminated. And so our partner there, Samaritan's Purse, um, comes alongside families and helps them build uh, what's called a biosand filter. And so it's about a four-foot-tall concrete structure, and um, inside there are layers of sand and um, microbiotic layers that simulate the filtration process when water goes from surface water and trickles down to the water table. Um, those are very affordable technologies because they already have the water on hand. You don't need to bring in a big truck. Um, so they cost about $60 per family to provide them with clean water. Um, but the situation is very different along the Tana River in Kenya. Um, the families there have to walk a very long distance to access water, either from um, the Tana River when it's wet, Sometimes uh, there are seasons where the riverbed is really dry. When it's wet, the challenge is um, crocodiles, actually. And so um, one person will wade into the river to uh, fill their jerry can, which it looks like a giant gasoline can, with water. And then someone will be standing nearby throwing uh, mud into the river to make sure that it scares off the crocodiles. Um, if it's dry... Then they go to the riverbed and have to dig down perhaps four or five feet and wait until the water starts pooling at the bottom of the hole, and then they have to spoon it out. Um, so, you know, very different um, concerns and dangers in each case. But um, in Kenya, the solution is definitely um, drilled yeah. wells. Yeah. So. So you talked about you, you got a, an, a waterborne parasite when you were in India. Okay, mm -hmm. so obviously if they're going to be um, just going after the river water, which probably isn't um, very clean, mm -hmm. are, are they walking around with these parasites all their lives, these people? Yeah, um, they are difficult to get rid of. Um, Without I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, Parasites are an issue, um, very difficult to extract. Leeches are an issue. Um, leeches actually will adhere to the back um, of a person's throat. And so um, one, when it's discovered that someone has one, you can um, either sort of, I'm sorry if this is too graphic, but gouge it out using a stick. Or, um, and this I find really devastating, people actually drink diesel fuel to kill um, the parasite or the leech, and they drink just enough to harm um, you know, par the parasite or the leech, but not enough to actually kill them, um, the human that is. But um, of course, we don't think that people should be drinking dirty water, let alone diesel fuel. And so um, I think starting with clean water is just vitally important. But you know, you see these, you see people in Africa, and they obviously live to quite a good age. They're not mm -hmm. all, imagine that with contaminated water, especially in the West, mm -hmm. your babies just wouldn't, they just wouldn't live. So you wouldn't, you know, your, your population would just diminish. So what has happened? I mean, have they built up, have they built up a, um, you know, a, a resistance to the parasites or to the, the bacteria? Yeah. 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 Well, for example, if you have... Um, we have to go on a quick break, but we'll be right back after this.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management. The holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness. How emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host Mary Simaluka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Simaluka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Talking to um, Stacy Zelma, who works for Charity Water, and um, she's been talking to us or is talking to us about the water situation and how 800 million people in the world don't have fresh water or access to fresh water. So, Stacy, we were talking a little bit about um, so, do they become immune so that they can just drink this, this water that would probably, you know, sort of kill off the Western world? Um, definitely not, actually. Uh, diseases from unsafe water and lack of basic sanitation kill more than more people every year than all forms of violence, including war. Um, I'd say 90% of uh, the 30,000 deaths that occur every week from unsafe water and unhygienic living conditions are um, those deaths are children under five years old. And so, you know, the... Um, Different diseases oftentimes cause diarrhea, um, and young children are more prone to become completely dehydrated and, and die from that. Um, once they get past the age of five, uh, it's more likely that they can survive and live with it, but it definitely decreases their quality of life. So the NGOs are there and providing maybe um, um, first aid and, and antibiotics and, and other deterrents, and you're there digging and getting 
fresh water and providing them with, um, you know, safe water to drink, correct? And I mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about how do you determine where to dig? What what are the what is the water table? I mean, is it everywhere or is it like oil? It's only in certain patches, and you have to know where it is in order to be able to go down and tap into that water. What what happens? Yeah, every area will definitely have um, water beneath the surface. Um, but the issue is more what's the most appropriate way to access it. Um, so a large drilling rig um, would be appropriate for areas where the water table may be um, a 1,000 feet below the surface. Uh, more so, um, you have to think about the conditions of the ground and whether it's stable. Um, we've gone into a village to drill a well and found that the ground has too much sand in it, and so you can't drill down and then um, put in layers of concrete to protect the walls of the well because it keeps caving in. And so we'd have to go look in a, de- in a different location um, for that village. So it's uh, the, making sure that a well is successful is also looking at um, sort of the soil conditions yeah, around yes. the project. It's working with you on, on that, people that know the area yeah, so, um, for example, in Tigray, Ethiopia, we are working through two partners. One's called Glimmer of Hope, and the other one is called Rest. And um, Tigray is the northern region in Ethiopia, and we're committed to providing them with 100% water coverage by uh, 2019. So we've been working there for four years. Um, when we first got there, only one in five people had access to clean water. And uh, so... Four years later, we've increased that number to 45% of the population has access. Um, but our hydrologists are extremely skilled. Um, the, there's a team of eight that accompanies the drilling rig, and um, they just understand the importance of their work and actually work 29 out of 30 days, sometimes 30 days a month, to ensure that um, – people get clean water as quickly as possible. They're actually considered heroes in this office. Um, they're just really an incredible team. So. so how long would it take to drill one of those complicated wells where you need the, the heavy machinery and you're going down 1,000 feet? Yeah, about three to four days um, for one well. But then there are other layers. Um, we don't consider a water project complete until we've trained a water committee, which is usually at least 50% um, led by women, um, and oftentimes the first leadership position a woman has held in those villages, um, but they know how to uh, do small maintenance on the well, ensure equal access to the water project, um, and then there is actually a water seller that um, will be with the well uh, when it's in operation. Some, it's tied down in the middle of the day, so the water table isn't drawn down too much. So she'll be there in the morning and the evening um, as people come and access water from the well. Mm-hmm. So you just have to take – so it wouldn't be continual running water that we're used to, but it would right. be a whole lot better than having to travel for miles to go, you know, sort of get some water in their jerry can and bring it back to the village. Yes, exactly. Um, you have to pump the water out of the ground, so it's not just constantly flowing. Yeah, and so and you actually have to let it rest so that it levels up again with water. The water's there; it's just not you can't just use it all the time. Right. 
All right. So they, they get their water. I'm always interested in the sociological part. Mm-hmm. Their water. And they're using it. They use it to cook. Can they boil the water at all? Uh, yeah, of course. They definitely so, can. Um, they use it to cook, to clean, wash their dishes, wash um, themselves, of course, to drink it. Um, one of my favorite stories actually is about a woman um, who got clean water through a charity water project in Uganda. Her name's Helen. And um, when our team asked her, you know, you have clean water, how do you feel? And um, her response was, I feel beautiful. Um, and I love that because um, as a mother, she was putting her family first in uh Taking baths was the last priority for the scarce water that they were able to gather every day. And so um, having a water project actually made her feel um, beautiful and helped her feel dignified, um, which wasn't something that we were thinking about. But, of course, like um, that's just a very exciting um, effect of having clean water. That's right. Imagine you not being able to shower or wash your hair for... I know. <laughs> Feel particularly beautiful, I'm sure. <laughs> but you think of those 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 human things, and you're bringing it to the human element, and I think that's wonderful. Okay, so we've got we've got the water, and they're using it for that. Now, do they grow? Are they growing crops? I mean, they they have to. We use water in so many ways that we just take it for granted, and so mm-hmm. they're having to mm-hmm. grow crops, and they've got their animals that they have to water as well, or they exactly. are they left to forage for themselves. No, um, each project is um, installed to bear a certain burden. So the average water project serves a community of 250 people, um, but it's taken into account how many people are present and living there because we have different technologies. Um, for example, tap stands uh, look very much like um, sort of a, a faucet you would have in your home, and oftentimes there are three to six spouts on one tap stand and um, that would be able to serve a larger population so right Um, so the ones that are just closer to the surface and you don't need any heavy machinery to do that Mm -hmm. the locals help you there dig those wells can volunteers come in from from america and go help dig those wells How, how does that work yeah, we really um, are focused on using local talent um, to dig the wells. We want to um, both provide them with opportunities to work, but then also have um, a sense of ownership over their water project. And so um, in the digging of the well, they may be required to either um, make a small investment to um, make the water project possible or give their time to um, put it in. We actually don't facilitate uh, volunteer trips simply because uh, Charity Water will give a grant to one of our partners to build 100 wells at a time. And so um, the the process is actually running, you know, a- across so many projects at once. Um, it, it's not like you could go and work on a well for a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not so. your focus anyway. Your focus is to get out there get those wells dug, get the fresh water to the surface. Mm -hmm. As quickly as possible for as many people as possible. We always talk about ending the water crisis, um, and we're really hoping that that will happen in our lifetime. So that's the goal. Mm. Um, Also, uh, your organization is unique in that every dollar that somebody gives to charity water is used 
completely 100% to, to dig these wells. So tell us mm-hmm. about that and how that works. Yeah, um, I'd say that that's the number one thing that our supporters tell us when asked why uh, they love Charity Water. It's, we call it our 100% model. We have two bank accounts that have never touched. One is exclusively for water projects, and then the other one is a separate account to fund our operations. So um, we have a group of private donors called The Well that have committed to um, making our mission possible, and so they help us keep the lights on, pay our staff, pay for trips to the field, um, and all of that. But then they enable us to promise the public that 100% of every dollar that they give will directly fund a water project and will prove it to you with photos and GPS coordinates of the community that's served. Um, and even if you give online with a credit card and say American Express would take out 4%, we fundraise separately to ensure that that's put back in and sent to the field. Um, this enables us to do amazing things. We can show to the dollar where your money was put to work. Um, it's called dollars to projects reporting. And so um, the average cost of a water project is actually $10,000. And so if the actual cost of your project is $9,600, then we would show you not only the project that you fully funded, but then also where that additional $400 went. So it's uh, when we were started six years ago, um, this level of transparency was really um, unheard of in the water sector. And so we're excited about um, just how that can help build trust and relationships and really show people their impact. Because even very small gifts, um, if a seven-year-old gives up their seventh birthday and asks for people to donate $7 in their honor, um, we can show them exactly where that money was put to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That makes a that makes a huge difference. Now, as a member of the public, if I wanted to designate that my money went to the administration side of it, you know, for the for the actual funding of it, could I do that? Yes, definitely. Um, and we have had people um, who aren't a part of the well um, just say, you know, we love what you do, and we'd like to help continue making that possible. So. We welcome yes. that as well, but we would never um, have you believe that you were giving to water and then use it for the operating costs. That would be um, your choice. Okay, yeah. okay Stacy. Well, can you come back for another five minutes on the other side of this break and give us some information on how we could fundraise? Definitely. I'd love that. All right. handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ellie Lopreet. Friday evenings at 6, 5 central on Togedet.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying 
surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopreek, Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Are you yearning to connect with those close to you who have passed on? Do you feel you'd be more at peace or more in balance in your life if you could only have that connection? Now you do. It's time for Alex Laws and the Alex Laws Hour. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Alex discovered an incredible balance that allowed him to listen and receive messages from the other side. Not your traditional psychic medium. Alex has spent the last 27 years as an endurance athlete and entrepreneur. At the core of Alex's abilities is his knowing that in order to open one's soul to the universe, one must open their heart to being authentic. The wisdom Alex has shared from those beyond the veil has helped at an international level and changed people's lives and sometimes, too, their direction in life. Need help with your life or business direction? Tap into the spiritual realm of Alex Laws. For more information, check out alexlaws.com. Then join us for the Alex Laws Hour with Alex Laws. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central here on The Rock. Star Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Season 3, See, so part of your job for the organization is to go visit um, churches and schools and encourage and show people how they can um, get a fundraiser going um, to give to your company to help support the digging of a well. So tell us a couple of things. You mentioned something about give up your gift. What is that? Yeah, that I would say is our most um, popular choice uh, when folks run campaigns and raise money for water projects. Um, I mean, everyone has a birthday, and um, we're so fortunate, especially here in the States. So um, an opportunity to really rally your community and help bring clean water to people in need is by giving up your birthday and asking for donations to clean water projects instead of for gifts. Um, And it's really inspiring, especially to see young children do this. Charity Water is um, just exceptionally good at clearly and concisely communicating the water crisis and its solution. And so the videos that we create, the stories, um, the photos are all focused on a message of hope. Um, And they seek to communicate these things at a sort of common denominator. So whether it's a seven-year-old child or a 55-year-old executive, we're creating videos especially um, that can be very easily understood. And then um, the, the natural response so often is, well, I want to make a difference and an impact. Um, so giving up your birthday is definitely one option. Um, I've actually had a homeschooling uh, group do a campaign with us. They called themselves the Kingdom Kids Service Group, and it was a group of five families in Orange County, and um, they raised 
$5,000 to help fund a tap stand in Rwanda. And um, they went about it in a bunch of different ways. They approached businesses to um, support a water walk that they did. Um, you can also have them give a you know, dedicate a night to um, fundraising for the organization. So perhaps, you know, 10% of every um, bill that evening would go to Charity Water and go to the kids' efforts. Um, what's really wonderful is that we just are always inspired by our supporters and our best ideas are coming from them. And so we're just really open-handed with the resources that we create and um, we just really want our supporters to take those, educate their communities, and um, inspire folks locally to impact the community around the world. So um, whether you want to hold an event, a dance-a-thon, a 5K run, a, you know, take um, your gift with playing the violin and put on a concert, um, you can really do anything to make an impact and raise money for clean water. So, Stacy, tell our listeners where they can go to find out all that information. Definitely. So you can go to our website, which is charitywater.org. Um, it's all one word. And um, then in the upper right-hand corner, there's a blue button that says My Charity Water. And you guys can go on there and create a campaign page for your homeschool group um, or, you know, for the theater group your kids are involved in. And um, just brainstorm ideas for sharing about the water crisis and then adding a fundraising element. And then once your campaign is closed, um, we will show you the photos and GPS coordinates of the community that you served, whether you raise $300 or you fully sponsor a water project at $10,000. Um, we can provide you with the same level of reporting on either of those, which is really amazing. That's fantastic, Stacey, and thank you so much for joining me today. I've been talking to Stacey Zelma, who talked to us about the importance of clean water around the world, something that we take for granted and waste without thinking. Imagine not being able to turn on a tap, letting it run to heat up before stepping into your morning shower for as long as you like. Stacey works for an organization that's moving towards providing clean water to millions of people globally. Go to their website to learn more. It's at www charitywater.org. Stacey, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Vivian. It was a pleasure. Great. Bye. Right. Well, that is really interesting. And you can do it in just small ways, just a small amount of money or a larger amount of money. Um, and it all goes to dig a well and provide water for these people that desperately need desperately need water. And we talked about um, being unique and um, Charity Water is definitely a unique organization. And we also need to be unique people. And before I was interrupted on my first break, I was going to say that there are times when you look around and you say, I wish my husband was as thoughtful as that, which I don't ever do because my southern gentleman is as thoughtful as that. Or you wish that your children didn't behave like little so-and-sos, but they behaved like that child down the road. Or you wish that you had fostered hundreds of children like your neighbor down the road. Stop doing that. Because, you know, if we read Ephesians 6.10, Put on the full armor of God, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. Then all that stuff tells us that it's going on in our heads. Paul tells us that, you know, the spiritual realm out there is making us discontented with our lives. 
don't do that. Don't do that. We are exactly who God wants us to be. And I know I wake up in the middle of the night and I start fretting, getting anxious, and I make myself calm down. We're doing what God wants us to do. Charity Water is doing exactly what God wants them to do. All of those people are in the right place. You too have a talent. Find it. Tap into it. And um, be content with where you are and stand firm and I also think about with homeschoolers, especially when we were at home together all the time, that staying healthy is a challenge. Once one child got sick, I knew that all of them were going to get sick. And then finally, probably mom and dad were going to get sick. And last week was no exception. My daughter got sick and she missed her audition, her audition in Houston. She was so, so ill. And of course, we were going away the following week. So we were all kind of pussyfooting around her, you know, keeping her away from us because we didn't want to get sick just before we were going away. But um, we didn't. So we all were able to go and do our stuff that we did this week. And hopefully she will be in good shape for her next audition. So keep the prayers coming. And I did say that um, I was going to mention the sale of silver in our house. And we took all of my mother-in-law's silver and divided it between silver plate and sterling silver and then decided as an heirloom, you know, little pieces of silver that we had seen on the table over the years and that kind of stuff and shared out some of the stuff and then packed the rest of it away and we're going to sell that. We're doing all these little bits and pieces to help her. And... um, All right. Well, I've still got my blue hair. I've been working very hard at getting rid of it. It's not as bright as it was. But listen to this little gem. I was trying to break into the military homeschool community, and I found through Twitter a family who used to be in the military, and now they're missionaries up in Canada, and I've already spoken to her. And I said to her, please help me find somebody who I can talk to. And she did. And I went to her friends about page and I'm scrolling down and I saw this short hair and blue in it and I thought what's my picture doing on her website and when I scrolled down further I found it was her how bizarre is that I mean out of all the people in the world she's somebody who also has blue hair the same as me I mean God works in very strange mysterious ways so anyway I sent her a collage of different facets of my blue hair just to alert her and I'll see if she emails me back and wants to be on my show we'll see and um, when we weren't in Florida the week before last we went to work with our children. It was kind of like a take your parents to work day in our house. We've all signed up to be extras or background actors at the company where my son, where my um, editor's son works. And we've all worked, but we've all worked separately. Except last week, my son and his fiance and my youngest daughter were there working on each of the two days that my husband and I were called. And, um, I jokingly said to some of my daughter's friends that we had been chaperoned by our children on both the days that we were called to make sure that we behaved ourselves and didn't embarrass them. And um, when you're on a set, there's a lot of hurry up and wait time. And we had a superb break during those two days from the ho-hum of emptiness, mainly because we got to spend uninterrupted time in each other's company without any plugged in distractions because you're not allowed to take anything with you because you might be tempted to take a photograph or do something you're not supposed to do. And how many 
many people in the world get to do something as neat as be an extra in a film. But I had to climb out of my box each day. I was there because not only did I have white hair, but I had blue streaks in my silver and stood out like a sore thumb. There was no getting away from it. I tried wearing a little pillbox thingy on my head with a veil, but wardrobe ended up mixing that because they thought it would draw the eye too much. I was allowed the blue hair, though, which doesn't draw the eye at all. Go figure. Dorse was asked, were you, wow, what the heck when your mum did that? Or, wow, my mum's really cool when she did that. I never did find out what she said. But she did tell her friends that um, while they were talking about me, well, she told me that they had said that I was so cute. And I hate being cute. Babies and old ladies are cute. Anyway, it looks as though I have come to the end of my show. The time has just raced past. I don't know, that conversation lasted like two minutes, but it didn't. And um, I hope you got plenty of information from Stacey about um, Charity Water. And you go check them out and do a little homeschool fundraiser and send them some money. Um, so I've got to run. But I hope that you'll be back same time, same place next week to hear of more antics in the abode of the blue-haired sociable homeschooler. Lots of work's going to get done on the house this week as we prepare to market it. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight and likes my blue hair. What a man. Our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Stacey Zelma, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. And don't forget to listen to my friend Ali LaPreet, Mondays at 7 Central, this little parent stayed home. Sandy, she's at Mondays also, but she's at 1 Central. So just stay tuned in all the time and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe this week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Number 62426. And that's the end. Do, do, do. And I'm going to go get my BB gun and I'm going to go after those squirrels out here because I'm not a very good shot, but there are so many of them. Be like shooting. Bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney 